0: Is there a key to finding some kind of peace inside when crazy stuff's going on all around us? Well, according to the Apostle Paul in the first century, as he wrote the book of Philippians and wrote the words in chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. According to him, there is a way to experience Joy and peace, in spite of what's going on around us. Now that that phrase, "Rejoice in Lord," always again, I say, "Rejoice." It, it kind of sounds that sounds like something you hear from the Bible, but it also sounds like like a pep talk. Like inside of every cloud, there's a what. If at first you don't succeed, and when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, in this series called Renegade Joy, we're going to. Examine the words of the Apostle Paul as he over and over again said, Rejoice. As he over and over again explains how we can have joy. Now, I call Paul an apostle. That's what the scripture calls him. An, an apostle just means one who is sent or sent one. And Paul wrote this letter recorded in the New Testament called. Philippians to a church in a town called Philippi. And in this series, I'm going to be challenging you to read the book of Philippians. It's four chapters. You can read it standing in line at Moe's today at lunch. It's that short. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to give you one. So like every week, the ushers are coming down. They have Bibles to give out. If you're here for the first time, don't have a Bible, just checking this God thing out and want to know a little bit more, take one of those Bibles. You can read along in there on the corresponding page numbers that are projected on the screen or just read on the screen, but take that Bible. It's yours to keep or yours to give to someone or yours to open up and learn about what it means to have a relationship with God. In this short book of Philippians, Paul uses the word joy or refers to it 14 times. Now that may not sound like a big deal until you realize When Paul wrote all the words in the book of Philippians, he was chained up in prison. And instead of him saying, oh, it's bad, it's really bad, and I'm here, and it's cold, and my feet are shackled, and I shouldn't be here, and I don't deserve it. Instead of him writing that, which is what I would have to struggle not to write, he writes about having joy. Now, Paul is no stranger to being in prison. You can read about Paul's journeys in the book of Acts, also in the New Testament, especially when you get into the later chapters of Acts. You see Paul going to this city and that city and getting in trouble because he's preaching the word of God. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul finds himself in prison because he he healed of an evil spirit, this young slave girl, and the religious leaders didn't like it, so they threw him in prison. But while he was in, while you read in Acts 16, he was in in this town, Philippi, he meets a lady named Lydia, and he shares the message of Christ with Lydia. Lydia brings Paul and his friends into her home to learn more about the message of Christ, and that church, Philippians, is born because of Paul sharing the message of Christ with this lady named Lydia. And now, when you open up the Bible and you start to read in the book of Philippians, it's 10 years after the fact when Paul found himself in prison for casting an evil spirit out of this girl. He's, writing, he's in jail again. He's writing a letter to these people in Philippi, who he started on their journey of faith. It's written in about the year 62 AD. That's about ten years after that episode in the book of Acts. And Paul writes it to, to this church in a way that shows that he had a really deep relationship with these people. I mean, he he was the first person that told him about Jesus Christ, and they responded. Paul wrote several letters in the New Testament to churches. He wrote letters because they may have had a doctrinal problem. He needed to help them correct. He wrote letters because they wrote him letters and said, Hey, Paul, what what about this? What about that? But this letter he writes just to express his love, his joy, and how he feels about these people who had been very generous to him financially. And so he writes a letter and he starts out saying, I thank God when I think about you and the way we have partnered together to help spread the message of Christ. And then he goes on to talk about what he wants for them, what he desires for them. And he talks about it beginning in verse 9 of of Philippians 1. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So here's what Paul's doing. He's praying for these people he has this deep love for who he helped get started on their journey of faith and he says I'm going to pray that you have more love that you have more depth and that you have more discernment. Now that's three pretty good things to have. Who would Who would like to have more love in their life? Everybody who's single is like, hey, come on, I'm giving, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. I'm working on it. We would all like to have more love in our life. How about more depth? Just things go deeper spiritually and deeper emotionally and deeper relationally. We would all like to have that. Who would like to have more discernment? When it comes in life to having to make a big decision about what you should buy or where you should go or what you should do, wouldn't you like to have more discernment? Anybody ever been at a crossroads of a decision and think, I really wish I knew kind of in black and white what I'm supposed to do? Anybody? And that's what Paul is saying to these people and to us is I pray that you are able to grow in these three areas. And the rest of the book is Paul telling them how they can do that through having joy. And we're calling this series renegade joy because you have to have joy in spite of everything that's going on around you. There's a theologian by the name of Karl Barth, and Karl says that joy is a defiant nevertheless. See, true joy is having an inner peace in spite of what's going on around me. Have you ever noticed people who who have that real joy in their life you can see it on their face. I mean, you can see it when they don't, right? Definitely. It's like, could, could you smile? Could you, you know, make us at least look like you're happy? I mean, there are people who, no matter what goes on in their life, somehow they're able to have this optimism about life and this joy that just doesn't make sense to other people. It just like, doesn't. why are they so joyful? It's because they've discovered the secret of what Paul said. When he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Paul can say that from a prison cell because he's grasped what it really means to have joy. I've met a few people like that in my life who just kind of, you know, blow me away at the way they take a look at life. One of those guys' name is James, and I met James when I was visiting. The Angola State Prison near Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I was there of my own free will, just so you know. <laughs> and I, I've I've told you this story before. I, I I go in and I meet these guys, and and this one guy kind of stood out because he was just like everything I would say about God's Word. He was sitting there with this Bible, and he would underline it, and he would ask questions, and 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 he had all these books, and he was just like, "What do you think about this?" What do you, and he just had this joy about him, and I got the opportunity to just sit one-on-one with him and interview him for this film they were doing for, for this prison ministry. And, and I was like, James, how do you have this, this brightness about you in this very dark place? And he said, oh, that's easy. I have the Spirit of God living inside me. And no matter what I did in the past, Jesus came into my life and changed me And now I have joy that goes beyond the bars of this prison. There's nothing anyone can do to me. Nobody here. These bars can't hold back my joy. And I have joy in my life because Christ is in my heart through his spirit. And I was like, man. I mean, he was like, nobody can hurt me. Nobody can do anything to me to take away my joy. I mean, everything had been taken away from him anyway. So he was just hanging on to this joy, and I said, James, I'm going to tell people about you. I'm going to let people know that there's a person spending multiple life sentences who did terrible things, who experienced real forgiveness, and now experiences real joy, yet you're locked up in prison. I said, because I know people on the outside that need to learn from you. Somehow, in spite of all of his circumstances, he was able to find joy So why is it that people who say yes I'm a follower of Christ would have a problem experiencing that same joy I think it's because we get we get caught up in the obstacles that prevent us from experiencing the kind of joy that Paul talked about I'm going to share with you a couple of those obstacles like a professor of mine in college used to say, if I were a student right now, I'd be taking down notes. I'd be writing this down. You knew that's how what was going to be on the test. He was like, if, if I were taking notes and I was like grabbing for my pen, you know, i better write this down. There's not going to be a test on this, but this is something that you're going to want to remember because life can throw really big curveballs at us and it's really nice to have something we can really hold on to on the inside and that's this joy that Paul's talking about. So one obstacle that really gets in the way of joy is happiness. It really does. And you might think, wait, happiness? I thought we had the right to be happy. Doesn't our Declaration of Independence say that we have the right to be happy? Does it? You see, you're afraid to answer me, right? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that we have the right to be happy. Our founding fathers were very wise and godly men, And these guys would have known the scriptures. And so when they penned the Declaration of Independence, they they knew better than to say, everybody's got the right to be happy. Because they knew happiness was just based on circumstances. But what did they say? Everybody has the right, say it with me, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, pursuing happiness, everybody's guaranteed that. They wanted to guarantee everybody can pursue happiness. They knew better than to guarantee it. And it's okay to want to be happy. It's okay to pursue happiness. But you have to understand that happiness is a fleeting thing. I mean, you might be happy today because, hey, everybody got up on time, or maybe you're not because you had to come to late service. You're missing half the afternoon, whatever you're going to do. And and whatever happened this morning either made you happy or unhappy. But you could be really happy right now. All smiles, just loving life. And we go out in the parking lot after church and we discover that there's been some vandals out there and they've slit tires and scratched cars and busted windows. And then where's your happiness going to be? Gone. Right? No more happiness because I came in, everything was great. I went out, everything was bad. Now I'm not happy. Walk in tomorrow morning, your boss says, hey, we can't use you anymore, we can't afford you. And if you're chasing only happiness... It's gone tomorrow morning if that happens. But there's something deeper that we can all get a hold of. That all that stuff could still happen and we could still have this inner peace. People chase happiness in a couple different ways. People chase happiness primarily through possessions. Don't we? I mean, if I can just accumulate the right amount of stuff or brands or whatever, then then, hey, I'm going to be happy when Cindy and I first got married, I had this old Chevy Cavalier. I mean, it was, it it was old. It was little. And I felt like I've got a job now. I can afford a car. I need a brand new car. And so then you go to the car lot. And I think buying new cars is a very unwise thing to do. But then I didn't know I was younger. And so I sit down in these cars and I'm like, this would make me happy smelling this every day. And no longer did the Chevy Cavalier make me happy. I had to have it was a Honda Accord and I was like I got to have this. So I called my wife up at work and I'm like, "Honey, this is awesome. You got to let me. I've driven it. It's a 5-speed. It's got a spoiler on the back. It's great." And well, oh, you know, okay, all right. And for 60 months I had to pay $287.08. And guess how long the new smell lasted? Not very long. I don't know, they designed it so it wears out in a year or so. And then all of a sudden, I don't like shifting gears. Well, I really want four doors, not two, because we're thinking about a family. And I, I, I don't like this color. I would rather have this. And all of a sudden, it didn't make me happy. And then I thought I wanted a truck, you know, because I haul so much stuff around. You know, I, I needed a truck. And so I convinced myself, okay, this would make me happy. But it didn't. And many people go through life going from this possession to that possession, which are okay to possess, okay to have. But when they start to possess you, they affect what's on the inside. Have the stuff used that God doesn't have a problem with that. But it's when that becomes what is possessing you rather than you possessing it. Some people just can't wait for the next gadget. Anybody gadget gurus out there? Tell the truth. Who, who just like, when iPhone 4 came out, you are like, I got to have one. You won't admit it. I know some of you, and I know you did. You just couldn't wait. Some of you probably already have one in your pocket, and now you wouldn't tell me. But you, you just couldn't wait, because it, it was going to make life so much easier and better. And then some mornings, I, I just want to tell my wife, honey, is this the day you're going to say, go down to the Apple store and get you an iPad? If honey, if that'll bring you happiness. And I'm like, it would. I don't know why. I don't know what I need it for, but I really believe it would for, and it would for a a day or two. How many people have an iPad? Tell the truth. The truth. Okay. A few people in here have, guess what? In a few months, I'm going to save up my money and get one and they'll have the second version out and mine will be way better than yours. And you won't be happy with yours anymore. So you can't stay on top of stuff like that. So if you're looking for things to make you happy, they wear out. Something new or better comes out. So possessions are not going to continue to give us what we need on the inside, although they're okay to have. Another way people chase happiness, pursue happiness, is through people. If I could just have the right friends, if I could just get in with the right group, and if I could just get to know this person, then i all, all my problems would be over and I would be happy. Maybe, maybe you're single and you're watching TV late at night and E Harmony comes on and you're thinking, well, 29 dimensions of a personality, how could they go wrong? You know, maybe I'll do that and find somebody through that and, and then I'll be happy. I've sat with people in my office who I knew were unhappy. He was unhappy and she was unhappy and they were coming to me for advice on getting married and my advice was don't do it. Just don't. If you're not happy and she's not happy... And two pe- unhappy person, unhappy person, they get married, what happens? Unhappy marriage. More unhappy, because now you got to live with the person. Now an unhappy person lives with an unhappy person. It's a recipe for disaster. And two times since people have been coming to me for that type of advice, I've said, don't do it, it won't work. I mean, isn't that encouraging? You're like, Don't go to him for marriage counseling before. I said, I don't think you should do it. I think you should wait. I think you got a lot more getting to know each other to do. And both times they didn't listen to my advice. They did it and they're already divorced and married again. Now, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. You're not happy. You're not happy. Bringing those two things together is not going to help anything. In fact, it's going to make it worse. I've had people say to me, I know God just wants me to be happy. And oftentimes that comes when a person's getting ready to do something wrong. When a person is getting ready to betray a spouse. Or continuing to betray a spouse. And just say God just wants me to be happy. There is no scripture. I've read the Bible front to back. Where God says thou shalt be happy. It's not in there. There's no command for us to be happiness. Because God knows that happiness doesn't get us past the first bad day. If happiness is all that you chase and all that you're hoping for in life, you're putting a lot of trust in things you can't control. Politics, the economy, the weather, whatever. Happiness won't get you past the first time something bad happens. So, as I was getting ready for this message, I looked on Amazon. I thought, what kind of books are there on happiness? And this one popped up that really caught my attention. It's called From Crappy to Happy. How to, it, I'm serious. You'll go home and look, look for it. I don't know if it's any good, but I, you know, the title kind of caught me. And basically the woman was saying from crappy to happy, how to have a really happy life. Now, I don't know what, she could really be talking about joy instead of happiness. I don't know, but, but can life really go from crappy to happy if you're just chasing happiness? Because even if you got everything you ever wanted, there's no guarantee of being happy. Because happiness is based on what's going on around me. Things are going good, I'm really happy. Things are going bad, I'm not happy. I go to the doctor, he says, Hey, you're healthy, you're great, things are awesome, you're gonna live another fifty years. You're happy. If he says, look, this is not good. We gotta do more tests, we gotta then all of a sudden worry and unhappiness and, and it's just based on what's going on around us. What whatever goes on in the economy, you can't really control that. So if your happiness is based on that, you're in a lot of trouble. And if I ever get bad news or tragic news, I I don't want happiness to prop me up. I want the joy that comes from the inside. See, joy is something substantial that will outlast the highs and lows of life. Say this next slide with me. Let's read this together. My joy is independent of my circumstances. See, Paul gives us the perfect example of what it means to have joy in spite of circumstances. So joy is something deeper than happiness that doesn't change with the circumstances of life. It doesn't change based on what I can buy or can't buy. It doesn't change based on my job or lack of a job or what happens to my car. It doesn't doesn't change. It's the kind of joy that prisoner at Angola State Prison had that said, these bars can't do anything to me because I've got something much greater than these bars inside of me. That's joy. And that's what Paul experienced. So happiness is an obstacle. Another obstacle is shattered dreams. Anybody ever want to do something really bad and then all of a sudden it didn't happen and and you're wishing you could get a do-over? Anybody wish there was something in life you could get a do-over? I do. Oh, man. I got a list. And things just didn't happen the way you wanted them to happen. Paul can relate. Paul wanted to plant churches all over, especially that area of the world, because he knew the influence of the the Roman world on the rest of the world. So he was thinking, if I could get churches everywhere here, then that's going to influence the entire world. But he didn't get to do that because he ends up in prison, eventually imprisoned and executed. His dreams were shattered, but he could still say, have joy. And for all he knew, this time in prison when he's writing to this church in Philippi was the last time, was the the last letter he was going to write. So when you read this, you're reading a letter from a church planter to a church who believes this is probably his last letter and he's going to die soon. That's some pretty important stuff. I mean, you don't just write down fluff when you think these might be the last words I ever write down. Paul teaches us how to be joyful no matter what. And he does it not by asking why, but by asking what. I mean, am I the only person that gets a woe is me attitude when bad stuff happens, when things don't go the way you want, when God doesn't fulfill your Christmas list? Come on, tell the truth. I mean, I, I, I can get like, oh, what? Well, it's so bad. Why is this not happening for me? Things are not going the way I, I wanted them to go. Have you ever said, God, why didn't you, and then fill in the blank? God, why, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why why didn't you give me this? I prayed for it. I thought we were supposed to get everything we prayed for. God, why, why, why? We've all asked that question, but Paul asked the question, what? Here's how to ask what instead of why. Ask the question, what is God doing? When things come into life that take your happiness away, God, what what's going on? What are you doing? he'll reveal it to you. How about what is God's purpose and what does God want to show me? Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And this word advance, instead of Paul saying, I want you to know that I don't know why this happened. I was trying to do the right thing. I don't know why. He he didn't say that. He said, what has happened has served to advance the gospel. And the word advanced, it paints a word picture of the idea of this army advancing, of taking more ground. So he says what's happened has allowed the message of Christ to take more ground. Even though what was happening to him probably wasn't pleasant, he saw a greater purpose in it. And that's a big challenge to be in the middle of something difficult and see a greater purpose. He goes on to say, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my change, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. What Paul is saying with all those words is that what what we see as an obstacle, God can turn into an opportunity. See, you might think it's a lost job, but it's really the pathway to something even better. You might think it's a broken engagement or a relationship that broke up before it got to the the wedding day, but it really could be an opportunity for God to do even greater things in your life. You might think it's a disappointment. But it really might be God opening a door to something even bigger. What you think is a setback might be a setup for God to do even greater things. And you'll miss it if you're just pursuing happiness. If you you don't remember anything else I said today or write down anything else, remember or write this down. Ask yourself this question Am I pursuing happiness? or experiencing the joy that comes from Christ. Because no matter what, you can have joy. Joy is not something that only people with resources can have. Joy is not something that people with only certain looks or skills can have. Everyone can have joy. And if you're standing outside of the family of God, just kind of checking things out, When you step into the family of God, you will be able to experience the kind of joy that goes past all understanding and moves past your circumstances and gives you that inner sense of peace in spite of what's going on around you. And Paul would say, those of you who follow Christ, I pray that you grow in I pray that you grow in your depth. I pray that you grow in your love. And I pray that you grow in your discernment. And you can do that when you allow yourself to experience the joy that only God offers and stop just chasing happiness to bring you everything that you need in life. Joy removes the distractions of chasing happiness. Joy removes... The disappointment that can come from shattered dreams. Joy, really at the end of the day, for those who follow Christ, is a choice. It's a choice. You have a choice. Am I going to be joyful or am I not? In spite of what's going on. So today, when you leave here, potentially, as soon as you get to the car, people are going to start arguing about where to go to lunch. And now there there it goes. You know, now it's like the day is ruined because we can't decide about lunch or it's too hot, or the water in the pool is not, war- not cold enough, it's warm like bathwater. something. So when you walk out of here, there's going to be a lot of joy attackers in your life. That's just how life works. So you have a decision to make. Am I going to be joyful or not? And here's one way to really help with joy this week. This is not something you can ease into. You just got to jump in. You just got to do it. Open up the Bible and take the 10 minutes that it reads, takes to read the book of Philippians, all four chapters. And every word you read, even though you may not understand it, we're going to bring, some, we're going to bring some, some meaning to a lot of the things Paul says in this book over the next four weeks. But just read it with the knowledge that the person who wrote it was sitting in a prison with his feet shackled up and probably chained to a Roman guard. And he's writing or or, or telling someone what to say and they're writing it down for him. And then think about your situation. And if he can have joy, then why can't you? So I challenge you this week to take some time, 10 minutes, and read that book and see how different the week goes and how different next week is as we continue talking about renegade joy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for... Just the way your word opens up for us this possibility of a life that is filled with joy. And God the things that that steal away our happiness when our stuff wears out or we can't afford what we really want. God I pray that you would help us to see past that and have that inner peace that only comes from your joy. Thank you for us being able to open up 2,000-year-old words and read them like they were written yesterday. Father, I pray for the people who stand outside God's family and long for that kind of joy. I pray today would help them take one more step closer to being a part of your family. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.